How important is the resurrection to your faith, to your life, to our preaching? Of course, we realize it is of utmost importance. It is the basis on which our faith is founded. But how hard is it to believe in the resurrection? One of my good members in, in <coughs> Albania came to me once and said, believing in the resurrection is the hardest thing for our people to accept. It's the biggest hurdle they have to get over to becoming a, a, a Christian. Uh, she was not just talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which is the basis of our faith, but the resurrection of all of us after we die. This is something we're not familiar with. We haven't witnessed it. But it is, of course, the center of our faith. So it is, humanly speaking, it is basically impossible for us to believe it. But the Holy Spirit, we are blessed. The Holy Spirit comes to us and works in our hearts to change our hearts so that we can believe that there is a resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead, that, that we will raise from the dead. But the Holy Spirit works through the Word, the message about this very resurrection and the hope that it gives us. So for this reason, when we read about the apostles working in the book of Acts, the sermons they preached always center on, based on the resurrection. They proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be looking at basically Paul's first recorded sermon. And again, we will see him focusing on the resurrection. It helps us see how important for growing the church it is to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. So we read in Acts 13, After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Okay, so where are we? Well, in time, we're about 10 years after the events we looked at last Sunday where Paul, then called Saul, but now called Paul, uh, was converted from being anti-Christian to being Christian and a follower and a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Um, if you add then, that was, an, that was about five to seven years after Jesus' ascension into heaven. We have, you know, 15, 20 years since those events uh, happened. Now, during those 10 years, Paul, well, he had stayed a little bit in Damascus, but had to get out, and then he was in Jerusalem a little bit. But he also went into the desert, into Arabia, spent some time there. Perhaps that's when Jesus instructs him. Because Paul talks about the fact that he was instructed directly by Jesus, just like the other apostles. We just, he just doesn't tell us when that happened. Then after that, he went to his hometown of Tarsus in 
what is now central uh, Turkey, the middle of, of Turkey. He spent some time there until the congregation in Antioch in Syria recruited him or called him to help out leading and preaching at that congregation. So he spent some years there. Antioch, north of Palestine, was one of the uh, bigger congregations in that day. The city of Antioch was a big city at that time. And uh, the Christians, there was a big group of Christians there. Gentiles were brought into the church in large numbers there. Uh, they were first called Christians in, in that church. So that's where Paul got some experience in proclaiming uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus to other people. Then the Holy Spirit comes to this congregation and says, set aside Paul and Barnabas because I have a job for them to be, uh, go on a, a missionary journey. So that's exactly what the congregation did. They had, a, it might be a service of commissioning and sent them on their way. Uh, <clears throat> and so they left and they went first to the island of Cyprus, which is in the Medi Eastern Mediterranean. Would have been a logical place to go, especially since Barnabas, that was where he came from. They pro proclaimed the gospel some different places and got involved actually talking directly to the proconsul of, of that island. But it seems their destination was really in Asia Minor, which is what we call Turkey now. Uh, <clears throat> if we look at this map, this has the first missionary journey of Paul on it. They started over here. Let's see if I can get this thing. Anyway, way over on this side is Antioch. Seleucia was the coastal city. Uh, that's in Syria, north of, you see, Jerusalem down below. They sailed to Cyprus. They basically traveled through the island of Cyprus and then took a boat up to Perga, which is on the south uh, coast of what is now Turkey, and then made their way directly to Antioch, straight up in the, in the uh, north there. It was a rugged uh, trip, mountainous, rocky, and uh, gained elevation about 4,000 feet. Perhaps Perga was a little bit uh, swampy. Um, Mark, John Mark, actually the one who wrote Mark, left Paul and Barnabas there. There was some sickness involved. So they end up in Antioch, and that's where we find ourselves in our text. Um, another Antioch. You see, there's two, you know, it's the same city they left from. You know, after the breakup of, you know, Alexander the Great had this huge empire, but then he died, and no successor. It, it got broken up into four parts, one to one of his sons, then to three of his generals. One of those was a, a man by the name of Seleucid, uh, who ruled over a large area, which is now uh, like uh, Iraq, Iran, and Syria. And he founded, he said he founded 16 cities named Antioch. That was the name of his father, named him after his father. So we find a number of cities named Antioch here. Uh, <clears throat> so when he got there, when they got there, they went directly to the synagogue, probably the very first Saturday that they arrived in this city of Antioch. And were <coughs> sitting there, obviously recognized as rabbis, as teacher, Jewish teachers. And so they were asked at a point, 
You know, if you have some word of exhortation, please speak. They probably had a, you know, you must have, a, you know, some words, some prepared sermon or whatever. Well, instruct us. Um, now, this is close to 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. These are a bunch of Jews. They had probably heard about this man, Jesus, how he had been arrested and crucified as a common criminal, the stories about his resurrection, not knowing too much about it. Uh, because, you know, it wasn't that, it was a few hundred miles away, but their news traveled in those days. They probably didn't understand the significance, and that's what Paul is going to get into here. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, because there were a number of Gentiles that joined this congregation, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. We're taking a selection out of the middle of, of this longer sermon that Paul preached because he's, he wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to preach about Jesus and his resurrection, but he starts off with the historical context. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere as an anomaly in history. He is really a fulfillment of everything that God had planned from the time mankind fell into sin. Gave that first promise to Adam and Eve, repeated it to Abraham. And Paul starts off in the section that skipped there of telling about you know, these descendants of Jacob. There were 12 sons, and they, they formed a nation. They grew into a nation while they were in the nation of Egypt. Then God led them out of Egypt back to the promised land where Abraham had been, the land of Cana, and they, they took it over, basically. This was God's uh, promise to them. Uh, and there they were first, in a way, ruled directly by God. Call that a theocracy where God rules them directly. He had given them civil laws on Mount Sinai, through which they could have order. When there was trouble, he would raise up a man called a judge. And one time it was a woman, uh, Deborah, uh, to lead them, to free them from uh, some enemies. Eventually they wanted a king, so God gave them a king. And the second king was David, a man after God's own heart. And David, uh, Paul explains, it's a descendant of David then that comes into this world as the one bringing salvation, as the one who would be the savior of mankind. This is, and about a thousand years after the time of David, this takes place, and we have the man Jesus, which actually in the name means savior. Uh, and Paul says, he came, this Messiah, promised Messiah, came in our day. He says, in our day. It's an exciting time to be alive because God revealed his Messiah, his salvation, his saving, uh, appointed saving one, now. And <clears throat> so he wants to now tell about this Savior, this salvation that he brings. Uh, because the, the message about Jesus coming into the world is a message of salvation. A message of saving from the time of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, you remember, sinned. 
And by sinning, by going against God's law, they were separated from God and had cast their lot with the devil. The devil had sinned and gotten thrown out of heaven, and God had prepared hell for the devil. And by casting their lot with him, they now faced that same hell for eternity. No way they could get out of this themselves. Uh, And then God promised, but I'm going to send you a Savior, a descendant of the woman, who will save you from this. And so, uh, yeah, Adam and Eve believed this promise. And the only way that you know, we can be saved is to get rid of that sin that Adam and Eve fell into, that all of us fall into in our lives. And now, talk about what happened to this Jesus that God sent into this world. He says, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. At first... This seems like a gruesome, uh, unpleasant story to be telling about the one who is bringing salvation into this world. And yet, the believers among among Paul's hearers would know about this. Um, They would know, for example, that the Savior God had promised was pictured in all the sacrifices that were performed by the priests at the temple the lambs and the goats that were slaughtered and their blood shed and uh, burned on the altar, they knew that this was a prefiguring of the Messiah that was to come into the world. Um, that this, um, So they knew this Messiah would have to die. Uh, even as when you know, John the Baptist pointed out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, what would the Lamb of God have to do? He would have to be sacrificed. He would have to die. This is what they had heard read about in all of Scripture. There were regular readings for each Saturday throughout the year, just as, as we have. And these talked about this Messiah who was to come, who was to be sacrificed, uh, who was to die. Uh, Now, they wouldn't have known how it took place in history yet. They perhaps hadn't, you know, maybe they'd heard about Jesus, but hadn't put this all together yet. But it shouldn't come as a complete surprise to these believers that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. That's the truth. It's a simple truth, it's one we believe, but it's one we need to review all the time. God sent Jesus to die for our sins. But then what happens? But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled to us his, their children. By raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. 
So after the grim and gruesome events of Jesus' crucifixion and his eventual burial, comes the hard-to-believe part. God raised him from the dead. Now, if you're sitting and hearing this for the very first time, never heard of a resurrection before this, except for those occasional stories in the Old Testament uh, where through Elijah, a little boy was brought back to life but eventually died again. Oh, God raised him from the dead. Wow. Now, we actually read both ways in the Bible that God raised Jesus and Jesus raised himself from the dead. In fact, when it's, he's talking about himself as, as the good shepherd, uh, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. He has the power to take up his life again. But here we read that God raised Jesus from the dead. Both are true. This emphasizes that the payment that, that Jesus paid for the sins of the world, carrying out that punishment, was accepted by his Father in heaven by the fact that he raised him from the dead. It substantiates the fact that he is God's Son, as God had said uh, at Jesus' baptism, at his transfiguration, as it says in the Bible often. And here we got a quote from the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. We have, we're really talking about the mystery of the Trinity. The triune God, where we have three persons who can act independently, but they are one God in some way we can't understand. So we don't understand this interaction uh, between the persons of the Trinity. But the fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives us hope. It's the only thing that can give us hope. His death was not in vain. It paid for our sins. When he said, it is finished, that was real. His amazing words about himself that he spoke while he was, before he died are all true. When he says, you know, whoever believes in me will not die. Even though he dies, he will not really die. How can you believe that? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. Because I live... You also will live. Jesus is living. We too will have life forever. He crushed the devil's power. He crushed death itself. These are things that we face that are more powerful than we are. We have no power over them. But he crushed the devil. And he crushed death for us. Uh, <clears throat> so this brings us to our second truth. God raised Jesus to give us life. Yeah, as we said, believing the resurrection is really hard. So Paul, in this sermon then after this, he goes on to show some uh, examples and proof that he is alive. He says, he was seen alive by many people. In his, uh, Corinthians, he says, there are up to 500 people at one time. People who knew Jesus very well, who couldn't be fooled by an imposter, who knew he had died too. They watched him being buried. So these are people that, that could vouch for the fact Jesus did rise from the dead. Uh, 
And they are now proclaiming this message uh, to other people. Now, the people, as I said, the people in Pisidian Antioch were hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, but they could have easily been in contact with people that witnessed Jesus' resurrection. They could have sent people back there to check on it. In fact, there were probably uh, pilgrims that had gone from Antioch back to Jerusalem for Pentecost or Passover festival. On the very first Pentecost, one of the places that you know, they, there were many people from all over the Roman Empire, and one of them was Phrygia. Phrygia bordered on the, where uh, Antioch was. In fact, sometimes it's called Antioch in Phrygia because that border sometimes shifted. Could have easily been people from this very city there when Jesus rose from the dead and heard and talked to some of the people uh, <clears throat> that had seen Jesus alive. Uh, In later verses, he points out that this resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. God had talked about this in the Old Testament. Uh, He points out, for example, that when David writes about him, your your Holy One will not see decay. Well, that couldn't have been David because David died and his body had long since decayed in the grave, but it was David's successor, David's... uh, Uh, progeny then that was that didn't suffer decay Jesus when he was in the grave did not suffer decay there a short time and came back out alive this was all talked about in the Bible the prophet Isaiah talks about him first dying and then coming back to life Uh, Jesus resurrection is in fact a monumental amazing life-giving and life-changing event. Uh, So, you know, do we believe it? We want to make sure it's true too, don't we? Before we put our faith in something like this, we want to make sure it's true. And well, we can read eyewitness accounts, we can read how Jesus, God prophesied it, how it was carried out, everything that Jesus did was exactly as God had said hundreds of years earlier. Uh, It was the center of all the apostles' teaching and preaching. One of the testimonies of the resurrection is how it changed the life of these apostles. They were willing to suffer persecution up to and including death to proclaim this message because it was true. They were convinced of it and it changed their life. It brought them hope. It brought them comfort. It brought them eternal life itself. It is the center of their faith. It is the center of our faith and should be the center of even our conversation. So what now? What does this mean for our life? First of all, we want to confess and profess Jesus' death that paid for our sins. That's where it starts. Because the resurrection is important, but there can't be a resurrection unless there's first a death. Now, there was a death. And that death is important, too. Uh, It's harder to acknowledge because what brought that death? Our sin. By acknowledging Jesus died, we have to acknowledge I'm a sinner, not worthy to stand before God. Whether it be those sins which 
you are ashamed to even talk about? Those sins which have caused great harm to people around you, um, cause maybe even pain. Those sins which maybe have been annoying to others around you, have uh, been distracting to people around you. Those sins which maybe you don't even know exist yet, but are there, or that you haven't been willing to acknowledge up to this point. Those are all the sins that Jesus died for, that Jesus paid for. His death paid the price for all those sins. So we acknowledge and confess them, at least to God. Sometimes, though, we want to acknowledge and confess them to other people. If there's, if there's a sin that really particularly weighs heavy on you, go to your pastor or go to a trusted Christian a brother or sister, confess that sin, and that pastor or fellow Christian can say, God has forgiven your sin. I, in fact, I have the authority to grant forgiveness to you because Jesus gave that to me. Get a special comfort for that particular sin. Uh, <clears throat> so just remember, to have a resurrection, there has to be a death. And it was a death which paid for your sins. If we want to partake in growing the church, we not only we also have to confess Jesus' death, we also want to profess Jesus' death to others. It may mean helping other people to look at, to confront, to acknowledge their sins too. Because that's what's necessary first to see and value Jesus' resurrection, that he died for their sins. This way they can receive the forgiveness that Jesus earned in his death for them. And then that prepares them for the joyous part. We confess and profess Jesus' resurrection as changing our lives, as giving us life. Jesus rose from the dead. You know, it was once the apostles were convinced of this, that they felt compelled to, to go out and talk about that. Now, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, especially starting on that first Pentecost day, gave the apostles boldness and understanding so that they could proclaim this message with understanding and, and proclaim it to people who maybe even didn't want to hear it. But it is the truth of the resurrection that they proclaimed. It is through that truth that people could be convinced themselves and, and believe. And this motivated the apostles. They traveled widely. We read about Paul's journeys, especially in the book of Acts, but the other apostles traveled widely and spread this message too. It's commonly believed that Thomas was in India. There are churches and monuments dedicated to Thomas in India because probably took the gospel there. Others got into other places in uh, uh, Iraq and Iran and uh, this all over. Some of them down into Africa. We don't, it's not recorded in the Bible, so we don't have an absolute record or, you know, that it's necessarily true. But that's what it seemed happened. That's what they were sent to do. They spent a little time in Jerusalem. And then pretty soon there were no apostles in Jerusalem. 
they all went to other places, motivated by and proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. It's an important part of growing the church. And if we let that message sink in for ourselves, let that message, Jesus rose from the dead. Let it overcome our fear of death, which is natural, but we have this resurrection to look to. And it gives us life. It changes our life. And it can give life to the people that listen to us when we talk about that resurrection to other people. It can change their lives. So we pray, Lord Jesus, our resurrected Savior, help us to proclaim your resurrection to many people. Amen.